Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the beginning of verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to get that ready and open. If you're visiting Christ Church, we really are grateful that you're here. Uh, I like to just say it this way. We're, first of all, celebrate that you worship Jesus. And we're very honored that you would choose to worship him with us. So we invite you to participate today. Just be a part of a worshiping community, and we're glad you're here. We have been in a series, as Jordan mentioned a little bit earlier, a series through the Holy Spirit. And we're going to be focusing seven weeks on this series so that we can uh, enlighten our hearts and remind us that the Holy Spirit is not an option for our life. He actually is doing the work of Jesus in us every single day. So what have we learned so far in our series? We learned that the Holy Spirit is God. The characteristics of God that are celebrated in Scripture are demonstrated through the work and activities of the Holy Spirit. Second thing we learned is that he opens our minds and our hearts to the need for Jesus. We would not need Jesus, desire Jesus, or understand Jesus if the Holy Spirit had not brought conviction on us, conviction of both righteousness and judgment. Third thing we learned is that he empowers us to live holy lives by consecration, And uh, by cleansing, he removes the sin from our life through the blood of Jesus Christ and sets us apart to do a work for God that's amazing. And so today, we're going to talk about how he equips us to perform the work that God desires for us. In other words, what we've learned is the Holy Spirit is God. He's a part of our journey. And the Holy Spirit does something to us by bringing our need for salvation to mind. He does something in us by setting us apart and cleansing us for good work. And he does something through us so that we have a purpose in life and we contribute to his kingdom. In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at three key things. Next week, we're going to talk about how does the Holy Spirit guide us? How does the Holy Spirit then strengthen us in our weakness? And how can we continually be filled by the Holy Spirit? So we're going to go from the theology of what the Holy Spirit is and does to how the Holy Spirit works with us fills us, guides us, inspires us, strengthens us in our weakness, helps us pray, and all the things that most questions people are asking me in the past few weeks we'll be looking at then. I want to take you to a core passage for our church in Ephesians chapter 4. I think it's the best depiction in the New Testament of what the church is to be about. And so we focus on that. In fact, the phrase that we use all the time, helping God's people to find their completeness in Jesus, is taken right from the translation of Ephesians chapter 4. And so what I want to show you today is when we talk about what the Holy Spirit is doing through us, uh, I want you to understand, and we, we talk about this regularly, but it's really important in America where Christianity is really most practically defined by what church you go to rather than if you are living out the life of a disciple. That what is the Holy Spirit calling us to do and what is he doing through us that's beyond salvation? So let's talk about a life of grace beyond being saved. What is that to be? What is that to look like? And how are we to grow in that? Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, now Paul is writing this letter to the people of Ephesus while he's in prison for preaching Christ. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul has just encompassed what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That God had a plan to save us, not just to save us from going to hell, but actually to save us so that the kingdom of God may prosper and grow. And all those that are invited in would begin to live the kingdom life now, not one day when you float on a cloud with a harp. There's more to the blessed gift of God than just salvation. So when the Holy Spirit of Christ fills us, after he's cleansed us and set us apart, and he fills us, he guides us, he empowers us, he indwells us, he does that so he can work through us. I wanted to just show you just rather briefly this morning that there are some personal responsibilities that the Holy Spirit calls us to, and then there are some group or corporate responsibilities. So let's look. Verse 1, for instance, I'm going to just summarize it here briefly. The Holy Spirit helps us to choose a life worth living. Rather than just coasting and doing what we've always done, the Holy Spirit indwells us that we might live a worthy life, that we might listen to the call of discipleship Jesus has and not turn it into, I go to this brand of church, I go this often, and I'm going to heaven one day. It's more than that. In verse 2, the Holy Spirit helps us live a life of humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearing, just like Jesus did. The same spirit that led Jesus in the incarnation to live out this life, he's doing that for you and I. So personally, we have these choices we get to make, and the Holy Spirit will empower us to fulfill them. Then there's the corporate responsibilities that we work together on. Verse 3, work for unity rather than individuality. Be a person who brings peace to others. In verse 4, be invested fully in the kingdom and do this through the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, be energized by the lasting hope that can only be found in Jesus and re-enter into the lordship of Jesus, the ownership and sovereignty of Jesus. Re-enter into that by baptism, the one baptism. And then in verse 6, do all of this because of and through the love of God, who is the father of everything and is working all this together for good to those who are called according to his purposes. So we can see that what the Holy Spirit is doing through us is to sanctify us deeper and deeper and transform who we are so that we become a part of this movement of God's people that are helping others find their completeness in Jesus. So if I can give you my, so if you stop listening to me, at least you'll know what I meant to say, right? Here's the catchphrase. The kingdom life is offered to you so that it can be offered through you. The kingdom life is offered to you so that it can be offered through you. Look with me at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And in Romans 12, to a different church, Paul writes these words. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, the word grace is an interesting word because it means gifting. It means a gift that you've been given. It's, it's a gift you don't deserve, that you're unworthy of, but God in his kindness and his goodness and his love for you, he gave every single one of us this grace gift. And there are a variety of grace gifts found in the scripture. Now, I want to play a game here. And for those of you who are visiting, this church has a silence issue. They don't like to talk to me during messages. And I refuse to accept that as normative. All right, so this morning, you can give me a holy harumph. You know that, hmm, hmm, you can do that if you're worried about getting all weird in church, all right? You can raise your hand and go, that's me, or you can actually do this weird thing by saying truth or amen or yeah, okay? Any human response would be welcomed, all right? (laughs) 
Let me show you some of the grace gifts we get in Scripture, and you tell me if they're valuable to you. Not to should they be, but are they valuable to you? Here's some of the grace gifts, just a sampling of what the Scripture says God gives us. Salvation. Blessings. Truth. Mercy. Kindness. Something to do. It's kind of interesting. The salvation is like, yeah, something to do. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. But I want you to know, biblically, it is a, it's a gift. Uh, God could do it all better without us, couldn't he? But he chooses not to because our development is found in our service, not in our salvation. Salvation is what saved you so you could become useful. But we find our completeness in Jesus when we're about the kingdom and less about ourselves. You see, we are told that to each one of us, grace has been given. A grace gift, a spiritual gift is offered to every person who the Spirit indwells. So, it's not just about salvation. A, a gifting of grace is for the kingdom of God. It's for the kingdom of God. Now, I don't want to turn this negative because my heart's really happy today. I'm excited to get to preach this because I believe this will refresh many of our hearts and minds who sit there and wonder, why is the church such a chore? Why is going to church so boring? It's because you have not opened yourself up to the indwelling presence of the Spirit because the Spirit will make you love the church. Amen. It will give you passion for the purposes of God because right now you can just evaluate it on whether or not it's convenient or entertaining enough or it fits your your needs. No, no, no. You have needs. The Spirit's the one that awakens you to them. And so in light of all of this, how is a grace, a grace <laughs> slow down, Mark, a gifting of grace for the kingdom of God? Look at verses 11 through 13 of Ephesians 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, when you think about this, I want you to notice that from the very beginning, there are people who wonder, was the, Old Test was the Holy Spirit available in the Old Testament? Absolutely. David was filled with the Spirit. King Saul was filled with the Spirit. The prophets were filled with the Spirit. The Spirit we're talking about is not a New Testament thing. It is an Old Testament, encompasses the entirety of God's work. From creation, the Holy Spirit has been here. And he will continue to work in our lives until the completion of Jesus' return. But in the Old Testament, what's different is the indwelling presence of the Spirit is not present because that happened through the blood of Jesus Christ and the final sacrifice. But throughout this entire time, what you'll see is those people that God rescued and set apart for his kingdom have the Holy Spirit available to them in gifting. Now, some of those giftings are temporary and some of them are permanent, but they're real. So what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit's indwelling for us? It's this, to equip individuals who are God's people to meet the needs of God's people. I want you to think about this. This is what the gifting is. That God equips each one of us who are God's people, saved by him, rescued by him, and filled with his presence. He saves God's people so that we might meet the needs of God's people. We are here for one another. We're not just here to escape hell. And in light of that, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings that to mind. Paul uses the image of the human body. And he uses this regularly. That there are parts of the body that get a lot of attention and a lot of beauty. There are other parts of the body that are rather unattractive. 
I won't speak, but they're unattractive and they serve a great purpose. A buddy of mine broke his toe in college. You would have thought his whole life was ending. For three days, I made so much fun of this guy because he didn't want to do anything because his big toe was broken. And then I had to drive him to the doctor's appointment and the doctor gave me this five-day lecture about how important the big toe is. At the end of it, all I could pray was, God, please don't ever let me break my big toe. <laughs> I didn't, I, outside of being ugly, I thought it was just there. But in the encompassing fashion of the physiology of what we are, Paul uses that to show us that every single one of us who has the Holy Spirit in us is, is being gifted by God as a grace act to serve everybody else. It matters. It's not optional. It's the way God created his church to function, and he's given us all an ability to be a part of it. 1 Peter 4.10. As each one has received a special gift... Employ it in serving one another. That's as clear as it gets. What happens if I do? Well, according to Ephesians 4, God's people become equipped. The body becomes stronger. And we reach unity, knowledge, and maturity. And I want to camp here for a second. Think about that. How do we measure churches today? Is it cool? Is it entertaining? Do I like it? Is it convenient? Does it fit my schedule? Is it big? How many people go there? Is the preacher known? Is he good at what he does? Do they have a good program? Do they have safety? Do they have this? Do they have this? And none of those things are wrong. They're all good measurements of whether or not we're caring for one another with excellence and doing it well. But it has nothing to do with it. A good, healthy church can be five people or 50,000 people. It can be in a country setting with no facility in someone's home, and it can be in a major city with a mall. It doesn't matter. What are we looking for? We're looking for these components. Unity. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of us all? Is he our only hope? Knowledge. Is the authority of God's word enough? Does it guide us and lead us in all things, even when our culture says it's become old-timey? And are we maturing into completeness in Jesus? That's what we're being called. To be, use all of our gifts so that there's unity around Christ. There's knowledge of the word of God being lived out by the people, and there's a maturity that we're all growing deeper and deeper as the Holy Spirit drives us further and further into the love and mercy of God. So what makes a gift spiritual? Let's differentiate between natural talent and spiritual gifts. One's not horrible, and the other's awesome. There's just a difference. There's a difference between your natural, innate talents. Some of you were born, and you could instantly sing. I was born and could not. <laughs> Some of you are artistic. You've been drawing since you were a tot, and you're really good at it, and it just comes natural to you. Some of us can't. Some were born with a natural intelligence, just a natural ability to understand themes and concepts in a very intellectual way, and some of us weren't. And you see, the difference between a natural talent and a spiritual gift is simply this. A natural ability or talent is neutral. It's not evil or, or good. It's not ethical one way or the other. You can be a good artist. It doesn't mean anything. You can do good art or you can do hideous art. It doesn't matter. You can make music or not make music, whatever your talent, natural ability is. You might be able to stand in front of a crowd and not be nervous, or you may get up and get that you know, splotchy neck thing people get where they start getting these red splotches all over their body because their body's saying, please don't make me do this. Right? There's a natural gifting, and then there's a spiritual gifting. So what's the difference between the two? My professor would say that God gives providential gifts. That's what you'd call natural talents. He just decided you can sing and you can't. You can teach and you can't. All of these natural 
inclinations. Those are providential gifts. So what's the difference between a gift or talent and a spiritual gift? Well, that same professor taught me this. The primary aspect of a spiritual gift is not talent, but a task. What makes something a spiritual gift is God's calling on your life to do something for his kingdom. Whether you have the natural talent or not, if you don't, God may call someone to do something that they're not naturally gifted to and turn that into a task for his kingdom that he gets involved in. Or he may take a natural ability you have and use that for his kingdom by calling you to that task. Spiritual gifting comes from God and it's an act of grace. It's a kindness, but it has a task to it. It's not just about a talent. God calls and empowers us to do this. And if you go through the list, and there are several lists, but I don't think they're exhaustive. I want to be clear about this. You can go through the writings of Paul to the early church, and you can put together a, a list of all the spiritual gifts that are mentioned, and there's nothing wrong with doing that, but I don't think it's exhaustive. God's not limited by that. There are non-miraculous giftings, and there are miraculous giftings. In the non-miraculous giftings, it might be things like teaching and leading, administration, or there's even one that I want to know more about, helps. I don't know what that means, but God equips some people to just give help where needed, support, whatever that might be. When this happens, the role of the Spirit is to enhance, sharpen, or focus that talent for a task, for a purpose not about them, but about us. And then there are miraculous gifts such as speaking in tongues or healing, and these are not innate abilities. These are special giftings. And I know I'm going to get some people saying, do you believe those things still happen? Here's what I predicate my answer on. God has not got old and God has not got tired. And if he did it once, he can do it again. But it's not about whether you and I have it. It's whether he gave it to us and why did he give that to us. It's always going to be about God or it becomes about us. And when it becomes about us, it becomes less spiritual. It's not about a talent. It's about a task. The equipping of the Holy Spirit was present in the Old Testament times. Now, we're done with Ephesians. I need you to flip over with me to Exodus chapter 31. I'd like you to see an example in the Old Testament of what the difference between how God uses talents and how God uses spiritual gifts. And you'll find out that God uses both the same way to bring about something for his kingdom and his purposes. Exodus chapter 31, verse 1. Now, here's the setup for this text. And this is what my professor taught me, and I'm grateful for it, because it helped differentiate for me what we're talking about here. Now, God had led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness, and he was taking them to the promised land, and there, he decided that they were going to build him a mobile home, right? God had a trailer. It was called the tabernacle. And they could take it down and set it up, and then wherever the, the pillar of cloud or fire moved, they went, and when God stopped, they stopped, and they put up... And they offered the sacrifice and it had the holy seat. It had the Ark of the Covenant. It had all these beautiful things in it that showed them images of God so they could worship and, and be cleansed. And they went and they built this mobile home. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel. And I have, pay attention, I have filled him with the Spirit of God. With wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, with all kinds of skills. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to gauge in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab to help him. Also, I have given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. There is an example 
of how God uses spiritual gifting and talents. One is given by God to people specifically outside of their talents, and the other is to accentuate their natural abilities and innate gifts that he gave them providentially. Right? Nod your head if that makes sense. Okay, I ask you to nod your head often because if you do, I think you're paying attention. If you're sound asleep, I feel better about me if you keep doing that during my sermons, okay? So this is how we relate. So, God took these two men, Bezalel and Aholiab, and he gave them his Holy Spirit and gave them a spiritual gift with wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of skills. He set these two apart for a task, which was to coordinate all the gifts all the gold, metal, wood, and everything that was given for the building of the temple and tabernacle. He took these moments and he, he gave them a special gift they did not have to put this all together. And then he called a bunch of talented people to use their skills for his kingdom too. Who's the hero of the story? God. It's not the people who built it. It's the God who filled it. And when we talk about our spiritual gifting, what makes it a spiritual gift is when it's used for the kingdom. Whether he, get, he takes your talents you have or he gives you an ability that is beyond your natural ability, it is God who gives it for the work. As we like to say around here, every gift that God gives us is meant to be given away. There is not a gift that God gives us we keep for our own glory. Now, we may be blessed by it, but it's always purpose to bless somebody else every single time. So what makes a gift a blessing then? Well, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll see that what Israel did on a physical level we as the church now do on a spiritual level. Where God built a physical tabernacle and a physical temple for his presence to dwell, we now build our own lives to be a temple of God in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not, so in the Old Testament, they used their physical skills to build a physical building. And in the New Testament, we use the, the spiritual gifts that God gives us to build in our lives and in the lives of others a spiritual place for the presence of God. And so what do you need to know to keep in balance this spiritual gifting? Because a lot of us want to tap the brakes here. You've been in moments, you come from a background where things got a little crazy and you were like, this is like weirding me out and you're all scared to death we're going to do that here. Everybody take a deep breath, we're okay. If it's of God, let it happen. If it's not of God, let's put an end to it. So here's the two things I want us to hold to. Two things that balance out spiritual gifting. Number one, the scriptures. God's revelation in Scripture gives us the guidelines by which we live our lives and trust Him. It's the guidelines by which we uh, consecrate ourselves and sanctify ourselves through the Word. Jesus prayed that. The Holy Spirit is the one who will never contradict the Word of God. There's nothing to be added to the Word of God, just enhanced and demonstrated in the way we live it out. So we are going to be people that hold each other to the Scriptures as the sole authority of our walk in gifting. Second thing is love. Why would you use your gifts and talents? If it's for your own glory, your own place, your own prominence, think, Lord have mercy on the church today when we're so caught up in celebrity preachers that we really care more about who's talking to us than what they're talking about. We need, to, we need to repent of all of that and get back to what really matters, the authority of God's word and our love for God and our love for fellow man. Because every gift is not about a talent, it's about a task. And that task is to bless and strengthen and bring unity and knowledge and maturity to someone else too. And in 1 Corinthians 13, you know this passage, but I want you to pay attention to the details with me. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Listen to what Paul just said. If I do what I do to be noticed and to be powerful and to be prominent, I'm accomplishing nothing. I am nothing and I gain nothing. So when God calls us to serve and love and sacrifice, if it's not for him and for the benefit of others, we're doing nothing, we become nothing, and there's no benefit of what we've done. Paul's made it clear that the authority of the scripture is clean and clear, and the love behind it is our purpose, to equip God's people for works of service. So the body may be made stronger until all reach unity in faith, knowledge, and find maturity, finding their completeness in Jesus. That's why we're here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes to that same church in my favorite book in the New Testament, Ephesians, and he says, previous to our text about how the church is to live and function and interact, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a grace gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were saved to serve. You were saved to be gifted by God, to be regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, so you have something to offer, so that others will find Jesus more completely as you find him more completely. And yet, today... We choose churches by comfort and convenience and whether we like the person's talking or singing. And, and there's, I understand why that happens. I'm not shaming you, but I'm telling you that there is a completeness in Jesus that's only found in service. If church is a bore and a chore, if you don't feel connected, if it's like I, I go, but I'm not getting anything out of it, I'll tell you why. It's because you are saturating yourself over and over and over with what interests you instead of actually experiencing what it is to live in the vitality of God's Holy Spirit, using your talents and gifts to bless others and find your completeness the way Jesus did by giving his life away. So you look at a church like this. It's going to seem like an infomercial. It's not. I would be a bad pastor if I didn't encourage some of you who are being led by the Holy Spirit in this moment to say, I do. I do need to start giving. I I want to be more engaged. I, I want to connect with how God has wired me. Sitting and watching doesn't grow anything. And you look around a church like this and you think, well, every time I come, they got everything covered. No, we don't. Let me just be honest with you. We have people that are wearing themselves out serving and making it convenient. And God is going to call some of you to stand up and say, you know what, I've come and I've come and I've received, but I'd like to give back, but I don't think they need me. We'd love to use you. We'd love to have your gifts and talents as part of our body. We need some elbows, big toes, and eyelashes. We do. And you may say, well, I don't, listen, it sounds harsh, but it's clear. This church will be fine without you, but you won't be. You just won't be because you were saved to serve. Now, you don't have to serve in our programs. And I'm not saying that I'm trying to get a bunch of volunteers so I can go kick back and lay on a beach. Ain't going to happen. But I'm telling you this, that you will find your passion and your connection and relationships. You'll grow deeper. You'll have brothers and sisters that draw you in. When you begin to look at a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Monday afternoon at work or a Saturday in your neighborhood, when you stop and say, God has given me these talents and abilities, and I want people to see him by how I serve. 
You might say, how do I get involved? Well, just go to our Welcome Center and simply say, hey, the preacher said if I wanted to help, I need to talk to somebody. When they get done passing out, they will give you a form to fill out. <laughs> and we'd like to find out where you want to serve. We're not going to give you a junk job. And we may even say, well, there's nothing in our programming here that we need that for, but we have ministers on staff who would love to connect you in our community because the kingdom needs God's people to show who God is. Saved to serve. By the power of the Holy Spirit brought about to life. I want to pray a prayer over you. I want to pray a prayer over those of you who are wondering if you can and if you should. Listen to another grace gift we receive. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with all of us. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.